Hello, and welcome to the Literati Cast. I'm Jennifer Loughran, and I'm a literary agent at Andrea Brown Literary Agency. I work on books from baby books through YA and everything in between. I have a guest coming on shortly, but first I want to give a little overview of nonfiction picture books to get us started, because that's our topic today. When people come to me in the bookstore and ask, where's the nonfiction section? I have to laugh because truly, it's the whole store, except the little parts labeled fiction. Nonfiction could be history or current events, science or nature, self-help or cookbooks, art or architecture, memoir or biography, photography or dance, and basically any other topic you can think of that isn't literally a made-up story. And the same holds true about nonfiction picture books. So that's topics. But what about types of nonfiction picture books? There are probably things I'm forgetting or books that fall into one or more categories somehow. But I'd say the basic buckets of nonfiction picture books are narrative nonfiction. So when people say something reads like fiction, but it isn't fiction, that's narrative nonfiction. It uses the elements of great story writing to talk about a specific topic. Narrative nonfiction can be about anything. Maybe it's biographical, about a real person or people, but it's literally their life story or a scene or section of their life story. Maybe it's historical, like about a specific era or event. If it sounds like a story with a beginning, middle, and end and narrative tension, that's narrative nonfiction. Expository nonfiction. These are books that are intended to explain a topic or phenomenon or to ask and answer a question. These are often, but not always, science or nature-based, talking about something in the natural world, whether that's coral reefs or constellations. Again, they don't have to be nature-related. These are just the ones I can think of off the top of my head, are often about animals or about snow or something like that. These books are informational, but also kid-friendly. They can be poetic. They can be straightforward, but they explain a natural phenomenon or explain answer a question often about science or nature. Another type of picture book nonfiction is what I would call a survey book. So a survey book is data-driven. It's not a story. It's more like a collection of facts linked together in some way. Maybe it's a book of all the grossest animals you can think of. <laughs> Maybe it's a book about timelines in history or a DK-style encyclopedic look at a specific topic where you can browse through it and look at any page independent of all the other pages. All of those are survey books. And also in the nonfiction space are activity books. I'm not just talking about like sticker books, <laughs> um, cut out paper doll books and that kind of thing, although those are also activity books. I'm thinking more of turn this book into a beehive where you take the book pages and turn them into a beehive or books that involve science experiments or things like that, where it's inviting the child reader to actually participate in something. So those are the four big buckets of nonfiction picture books that I can think of. I'm sure that you will give me more in the comments, but um, today we're going to be talking more deeply about narrative nonfiction, in particular biography from how to choose a topic to what to put in the story and what to leave out. Um, my guest today is Candace Costin. She's an editor at Lee and Low Books, who happens to be an expert on the topic. Let me see if I can get Candace on the line. Hi, Candace. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. So first of all, can you tell us your origin story? 
Uh, sure. I'm from the Bronx, New York. Um, uh, my parents raised me to be an avid reader, so I've always had a love of books. I went to Barnard College, where I majored in music. And then after graduating, I found out about We Need Diverse Books. I wanted to pursue publishing. I won an internship grant from We Need Diverse Books and did my internship at Lee and Lowe. And after the internship, they took me on full-time in editorial. So, And I've been there four years. It's been great. Awesome. Um, about this We Need Diverse Books internship, sure. I know that a lot of listeners are like, maybe they are people who w- wish that they could be in publishing or want to be in publishing, or maybe they're in college and they love reading and they love books, but they don't know what to do next. Could you talk a bit about the experience of having this internship? Like, what did they make you do? Um, sure. Well, We Need Diverse Books is a nonprofit organization that advocates for greater and stronger representation in the publishing industry so that books can reflect the young readership. Um, they were instrumental in working with um, Lian Lowe and a few other publishing houses during that year to um, bring in students or recent college grads from underrepresented you know, backgrounds into the industry. So Lee and Lowe gave me the internship and I did my work through them, um, but We Need Diverse Books supplied me with a grant so I could afford my transportation and my housing for that summer. Since New York is such an expensive city, um, one of the reasons why people from underrepresented communities can't always afford literally to do an internship that are often unpaid um, in publishing. So We Need Diverse Books kind of helps fulfill that need that you know, students or recent grads might have if they want to pursue publishing. And it worked. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> so you're at Lee and Lowe. I didn't know Lee and Lowe was the largest multicultural publisher in the U.S. Um, do you guys, like, what's your mission statement there? I'm sure. Our mission statement is about everyone for everyone. We've been around since 1991, which is almost 30 years. And like you said, we're the largest multicultural children's book publisher. So we focus on books that um, feature people of color, um, children of color in their books, and also just people who have been systemically unrepresented in children's book publishing. I know that you have a new voices program. Can you talk about the Lee and Lone New Voices program? I'm sure. Our, we have a contest called the New Voices Award that we run every year. It's an annual writing contest for unpublished writers who self-identify as a person of color or of Native nations. It aims to publish new voices from groups that have been underrepresented in traditional publishing. Um, we also have our New Visions Award, um, which aims, which focuses on middle grade and young adult books. So the New Voices Award focuses on picture book manuscripts, and the New Visions Award focuses on stories for older audiences. And the New Voices Award is in its 20th year this year. So we have a submission window where people, where writers will submit their stories and our editorial staff will read and evaluate them. And we have a big discussion and the winner gets um, a publishing contract with us. What types of books do you work on at Lee and Lowe? Like, what does your list look like? Sure. I work mostly on picture books, um, um, both nonfiction and fiction And I'm also working on our in-house chapter book biography series that we've been developing, similar to the Who Was series, but all of the subjects in the series are um, people of color. You're actually here because (laughs) one of my clients was at a conference with you, and she raved about your 
talk that you did. And it was about nonfiction picture books, specifically biographies. So I wanted to unpack that a bit. First of all, generally speaking, what do you think authors should consider when they're choosing historical or biographical subjects? Hmm, that's a good question. I I think everyone has a life story to tell. And I think the trick is determining two or maybe three things. One, when you're thinking about who or a person to write about or a kid audience, you need to think about the kid appeal of that person, meaning why will children be interested in learning about this person? What will be appealing to a young audience about this figure? Um, the second thing would be the narrative thread in the story, which is what is the driving force behind that person's life and what events and decisions kind of pull this narrative along. And then for three, it's maybe a question further down the road when, when you're writing your story, um, what events should be in the actual story itself and what might be better a better fit for the back matter where you could kind of explore some of the things that don't quite fit in with um, the story you're trying to tell about this person, but should not be completely absent from their life story. How do the elements of craft differ when you're writing fiction versus nonfiction biographical picture books? Mm. Or do they? Mm. I, I don't think they do really. When I'm reading a nonfiction manuscript or submission, I'm looking for the same elements that I would in fiction, um, such as pacing, uh, setting, character development, and voice. Um, a biography is a story of a person, but it's a story first. So all those elements should be there and they should be strong. Well said. So um, picture book biographies, in my experience, tend to fall into one of two buckets. They're either like cradle to grave stories about the full life of the subject or slice of life stories about one particular incident or era in the subject's life. What do you think works better in the picture book form? Um, I think both approaches are effective in picture books. It depends on the person you're writing about and the story you want to tell. Um, last month, Leanne Lowe published The Unstoppable Garrett Morgan, um, which is a biography of a prolific African-American inventor and entrepreneur. And I'd consider it to be slice of life because it focuses on Garrett Morgan's early childhood and through the first maybe few major events in his life. Um, this approach allows or allowed us to devote more time to certain events in his life. Um, you, you could definitely write a picture book that encompasses Garrett Morgan's entire prolific career, but you will have to you won't be able to have as much give as much weight and attention to certain moments in his life that we were able to do in the picture book approach that we took. So how do you decide what to um like what to include in the back matter or what to include in the story? Sure. I think it's a discussion that you that as writers may have with their agents or their editor and could definitely, you know, be a bit of a fluid process, you know, till you fine tune it. But we always, I encourage writers to check in with the narrative thread in the story. Um, all the events in the book should kind of feed into the, the focus of the story and what, what, the story you're trying to tell about this person's life, whatever does not maybe fit in with this main storyline, since it is a picture book, you're limited by word count, um, is probably better suited for the back matter. Um, with regards to um, information that might be kind of heavy, I mean, Lee and Lowe, our biographies, we don't shy away from hard-hitting truths. Mm -hmm. um, earlier this year, I think in August, we recently published a beautiful picture book about um, Dr. Maya Angelou called Rise. The subtitle is From Caged Bird to Poet of the People. 
Uh, the picture book touches on many heavy topics like racism. Um, Maya was sexually assaulted at a young age by her mother's boyfriend, who was later found dead. Um, and just and she it led her to becoming mute for several years. The whole the trauma of the event. And there's um, a spread in the book that definitely touches on that and mm. talks about it. So, um, what I suggest for for writers, or when I unpack that spread with writers, like at conferences, I show them how the the author and you know editorial staff on that book made it clear that you know something terrible did happen to Maya at this point, um, but it doesn't. It describes it without saying the word sexual abuse. It just yes, and that um, she the author uses word choice, voice, and the events in Maya's life to kind right. of build upon this caged bird part of the narrative. And then we we see how the trauma of that event led her to becoming mute because that's the biggest takeaway from that spread that readers need to understand in terms of the events in Maya's life. And then later, as the story unfolds, we see how um, reading and literature and words kind of help Maya re- rediscover her voice. I think that's really great because, I mean, I think a little kid who isn't able to understand like the specifics of the trauma would definitely understand trauma, mm-hmm. you know, would understand like something bad happened. Now she doesn't talk, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody can understand that. And then as a kid matures and there may be more able to understand nuanced things, they will infer the actuality perhaps, but like, mm-hmm it wouldn't be too upsetting for like a little kid who often are reading picture books. Okay. Absolutely. And I think um, the story is told in verse, which um, Mm -hmm. also kind of helps with the voice and word choice of describing such an event. And I also try to make clear to writers that the, um, although the narrative doesn't specify sexual abuse, the back matter does use that term. And the point Mm -hmm. of the narrative is, you know, the story, whereas the point of the back matter is to provide factual information. Yeah, and most people are not reading the back matter to three-year-olds. Right, exactly. So, so, and I think actually that's a really important point because often the text of a picture book, biography, or history book can be quite spare Mm -hmm. um, and suitable for three- or four-year-olds. But then the back matter hopefully has enough meat to it that the book can still be used in third grade, fourth grade Mm -hmm. um, for older kids. I'm, I think that's the best kind when it's good for a broad audience and can be used in schools and stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are the responsibilities of an illustrator of nonfiction? I'd imagine that they have to do a lot of research as well. I mean, like what style of clothing did people wear in whatever year was such and such invented yet? Like real products and objects and animals and whatever have to be rendered appropriately. Oh, for sure. Um I think the research often, at least in my experience, begins with the author and the manuscript. And then as illustrations or sketches come in um, and details become um, more appropriately rendered and fleshed out, sometimes we ask the illustrator, you know, oh, is this the actual, you know, were lampposts around during the time period? (laughs) Is that the fashion that people were wearing? And sometimes you have illustrators who will need a a little nudge to get the research going, or often I'll go back to the author and ask um, him or her if they have anything that in there, if they've come across anything in their research that um, describes 
you know, answers the questions that we're trying to illustrate, that we're trying to answer for the illustrator. But it, it's a lot of photo research. The things I have to Google sometimes, Jennifer, are just um, <laughs> funny. Um, and then I send photo references to the illustrator when I can. So I don't get them from the author. Sometimes it's my own independent research. It's asking around. It's referring to other books from that similar time period or, you know, that depict that similar time period to see what they've done. And sometimes it's working around it. So maybe since we don't have that fact, we don't need to put that. If it's a detail, it may not have to go in the art this way. It's not wrong. These are all decisions that we make as they come up. Do you ever have, like, professional fact checkers or do copy editors do that? Do they oh. copy edit illustrations? I, I don't know if our copy editor um, works on the illustrations, but sometimes they'll raise a question, you know, is this right? Um, this is not what I found. And, you know, maybe the photo reference that was supplied or um, we do like to work with them um, targeted readers who will, you know, once the mm-hmm. book is near finished, kind of give it a, a close read through and look at the art just to see if there any if there's anything being misrepresented or if there's anything wrong in um, the story or the art. Um, so it helps to work really closely with historians. So what books uh, that are about to come out or very recent are you super excited for us to check out? And then I will link to them in the show notes. In January, we have this beautiful biography called Dream Builder which is the story of Philip Freelon, who is an African-American architect who worked on the um, the Smithsonian National Museum of African-American History. I believe that that's coming out in January. And that's um, illustrated by Laura Freeman, written by Kelly Starling Lyons. Um, What do you love to read for pleasure? I um, really love middle grade to read for pleasure. And um, I think there's a, a poetry to it. And that's really that's really wonderful. And um, I've also really like graphic novels. So I've been reading quite a few middle grade graphic novels recently. And uh, those have been just like quick reads and they're great. And usually I just want them to be like 100 pages longer. <laughs> um, what is a recent fave? Uh, sure. I read um, The Breakaways by I think Kathy G. Johnson, which um, the tagline was... Um, Bad at soccer, okay at friendship. <laughs> and that's what, okay. that's what sold me. Yeah, but it's a diverse, I have to read that. Yeah, it's just a diverse group of, um, I don't know, like middle school girls who are all on the soccer team. And I you know, thought, oh, they'll get better. And they don't. They really are bad at soccer. <laughs> and they are pretty good at friendship <laughs> by the end. So, yeah. Uh, uh, have you read The New Kid? Yes, I have read The New Kid. That is a great it's, book. It is so good. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I just had to like say I love that book. Okay. Okay. So this is the question that everybody loves. Candace, what are you obsessed with right now? It does not have to be bookish, but it can be. And I will start with mine. So you have time to think of yours. Mine is so dumb. It's very silly. I'm obsessed with TikTok. If you're like me and old, (laughs) what you need to know is TikTok is little mini funny and weird videos that are in a constant stream, like Vine or something, videos. Mm -hmm. You open the app, a video starts, and when you want a new one, you swipe up. And the videos are like weird people lip syncing and pets and people cooking things and dances and pranking each other and pratfalls Mm -hmm. like they're just very short very fast there's music it's like watching i don't know 
a weird silent slapstick movies or something like a lot of the time because there's just a lot of pranking and jumping on things and whatever and pets jumping out of I don't know Mm -hmm. as you like things the algorithm will start tailoring the feed to be things that you might like so it's very fast it's very strange I realize first of all I'm completely too old for this app (laughs) so when I first opened it I was baffled it's like a lot it's very loud and confusing and fast (laughs) but also I like will cry laughing and if I open it I will get lost for at least 30 minutes to an hour (laughs) I'm not going to start making TikTok videos, so don't ask, (laughs) but I'm very much enjoying watching them. That is my weird obsession. Candice, what are you obsessed with? Wait, I have questions about TikTok. Oh, go on. (laughs) Is this um, something that, that the content that other people make and then you- Yeah, it's all like children, pretty much. It's like not children, but like young adults, Mm -hmm. a lot of young adults and maybe up to- you know, like college kids and stuff, mm-hmm. um, are making them. There are just, it's very silly. It's very silly. Sometimes you need silly. Like there's a lot of people walking upside down or having <laughs> weird, doing weird dances with their costumes. I don't know. No, that sounds like a yeah. great way to procrastinate and to, you know, just kind of, um, <laughs> you know, relax after a trying day. You, you know, probably I should learn to crochet or something, but that has not happened no, yet. So. Okay. <laughs> my, um, okay. Yeah. Your obsession. My obsession right now is I've, I have Netflix and I've been watching um, my crazy ex-girlfriend yes. on there. Um, I love music. I love musical theater or musicals in general. So um, a TV show about, you know, young, young adult people, um, with, you know, in song is just been amazing. And the moments that they choose to sing in the show are hilarious. <laughs> like sometimes you can feel a song coming on and other times they just break into one and it's, it's amazing. And they're just, and the, like she was singing a, a song called the sexy get and ready song, like getting ready <laughs> for her date. And I just said, I know what this is referencing, like the early 2000s kind of, you know, like girl group um, kind of song. And um, it was just super, super funny. And, and they're, they're catchy. You just want to sing with them. And the lyrics are so clever. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I do love that show, but I also will just sometimes watch the songs on YouTube mm. because... I'm a crazy person who just watches weird little things on YouTube. But anyway, kind of like TikTok. Anyway, thank you, Candace, <laughs> for sharing your obsession and also all your fascinating work. Um, and I'm really glad you could join me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much to my guest, Candace, and to all of you for listening. A couple of orders of business. First of all, for those wondering about transcripts for these podcasts, that is an ongoing process. At the moment, as of this taping, the first 21 episodes of the Literaticast are available as downloadable transcripts. All you have to do is visit my website, jenniferlawfriend.com slash literaticast. Find the episode you want and click the blue download transcript button. And you should get a document with a transcript. Let me know if you have any problems with this. A big shout out to my pal Keffy, who is transcribing these podcasts, as I definitely do not have the patience for it, and more will be up soon. 
And also a shout out to those of you who support this podcast on Patreon. I know it's less fun, maybe, since I stopped doing the giveaways, but apparently that's not kosher according to the rules of the Patreon Terms of Service, and that's okay. I hope that you know that your Patreon support means a lot to me. First of all, it enables me to pay for web hosting and production of the podcast, without which the podcast would not exist, and it also allows me to do initiatives such as paying Kevi for transcribing. Additionally, all of you gave a scholarship to the amazing Quelly Color of Children's Literature Conference so that some new writer without the means to attend will be able to. That means a lot to me and to them, I'm sure. So thank you. If you would like to support the podcast, the Patreon is at patreon.com slash literaticat, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes as always. If you like the podcast, you could also even leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. More reviews help more people find us. If you hate the podcast, please don't leave a review. Thank you. (laughs) It is nearly Thanksgiving here in the USA, so I'm clearly feeling in a very thankful mood. So I'd like to just mention that I'm particularly grateful that I get to work with amazing authors and illustrators helping bring their books into the world. And also, for all of you who listen to this podcast, your kind words and support mean a lot to me, and I really appreciate that I get to spend this time with you, hopefully bringing you interesting and useful content along the way. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful and warm holiday if you celebrate. And actually, even if you don't. (laughs) Thanks for listening and see you next time.